0: Welcome to Reboot for Connection, the podcast dedicated to understanding connection at work. This is where we talk to leaders, communications professionals, and other subject matter experts about how organizations are now intentional about designing for connection in the workplace. Real connection to people, mission, and the work itself. We explore what can be achieved when this is approached as a strategic initiative. My name is Jurgen Abo and this podcast is brought to you by ScreenCloud. Now, let's get into the good stuff. The intersection between the people function and operations is a particularly interesting one when it comes to connection at work. And this guest is an expert at that very intersection. She lives in Michigan, but her heart might be in California. And she uh, has a law degree as well as a bunch of awesome plants. And uh, we are excited to chat with the one and only Nancy Wood. How are you?
1: Good, good. Nice to, nice to be here today.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, thank you for taking time. We know that um, connection is something that matters to you in more ways than one. So tell me your perspective here. In 2020, what is connection at work?
1: In 2020, connection is has been challenged, right? I think historically we think of connection as being a very like physical in-person thing with people moving sort of to these remote setups. Um, I think connection is really more about community and building community. Um, and communities come in all shapes and sizes, right? So, um, you know, I'm a part of the community that I live in, this actual physical neighborhood, but I'm also uh, potentially member of like a religious community or a school community or virtual communities like there's tons of fanfic out there for people who love books and movies and whatever so there are all of these different communities out there and and I think that that's where the connection comes from and and I think here in 2020 we have an opportunity to um to focus in on that and do more there do more community building
0: so what's a company to do then? I, is a company a community? Is it, you know, some people refer to it as a family? What what What's the role of company in creating community for the purpose of connection at work?
1: Yeah. I personally don't love the idea of workplaces being families. I know that's a really common thing. Um, But I think with families, there's, there's something that is forced and not a choice. And I think good communities, strong communities are ones that are pulled together by a common interest or something that people kind of choose and opt into. Families are great and we're born in them, into them and we're stuck with them. And uh, I think we can choose families and, and that's okay. But I think in a workplace, it's really about creating an environment where there is a common interest, a shared goal. We all are sort of on the same page about one thing. So. I think the question is, you know, do you as a company already have one of those? Do you have a strong mission? Do you have a strong culture? Um, do your teams know what those are? Is the communication open and flowing about that? Um, but, but really, I think community, and the company's responsibility in community is creating that thing that will connect people, that, that common value, that common interest.
0: Yeah, I'm so with you on that. It's tempting, right, to say, oh, we're a family. Like, I get the temptation. And in some cases, the company might be like a family. But I think in most cases, it isn't and it shouldn't actually be. Um, I think we are teams and we are communities. We are we are that, right? And we are operating together because we're on a mission. We're trying to yeah. do something together. We're trying to accomplish something we're not just trying to maintain as a family, which a family would do. There's tons of yeah. thoughts on that, but I, I totally hear you. Um, yeah. So staying, though, on this point about how companies should approach things, right? So you're in people ops or people and ops, however you want to wanna, wanna kind of slice it in, in your current role, but also from past experiences. I know you're a big uh, remote work enthusiast and has been since before it was trendy. <laughs> um, but now that companies have to really you know, deal with this in new ways, what are some mm-hmm. thoughts you have on, on how that should happen um, for mm-hmm. it to actually be beneficial to everybody and ultimately successful?
1: Yeah. Um, this might not satisfy many people, but a lot of it, I think, is just in perspective and in mindset. Um, so I think to, to be successful, there's kind of a shift in perspective and mindset that we have to have. And that's, you know, step one, like embracing this as a real strategic advantage, embrace remote work as a strategic initiative. Um, the, there are, I think a lot of people still out there thinking that this is temporary or still thinking about you know we're going to go back to the office in july and still thinking about that thing in the future versus like the reality that is right now and so i think the first thing i would say to make this work is to really accept today's reality instead of thinking about what's coming next and and what can you do and shifting that perspective of this is a thing that has happened now what are we going to do about it to this is happening what can we do because of this what opportunities does this create for us and so you know we have unique opportunities to test virtual communications and maybe that does open up future hiring plans where traditionally we've only hired in the office or we have opportunities to test other things in a remote world that we couldn't do in in an office and so i think i think kind of shifting that mindset again to one where it's like this is an opportunity for us to do something what can we do what can help us versus um you know just trying to like hold the line until six months from now we when we can go back to normal
0: so. right yeah i hear you on that um empathy has kind of been the word of 2020 in many ways right and yeah. that we talk a lot about well leaders need to have empathy etc it's harder to execute on than it sounds like. What are your recommendations to leaders around, you know, having empathy for what their employees are now going through and how do you put that into, um, into actual initiatives?
1: Yeah. So I think empathy is a really interesting word. Um, I don't remember where I read this, saw this, heard this years and years and years ago, but um, someone explained this this perspective or um, uh, yeah, perspective or um, sort of growth pattern between sympathy, empathy, and then compassion. Right. So sympathy, right? I I that sucks. You know that thing that happened to you that sucks. Empathy being like, oh man, I really feel that. Like that. I'm, I'm in this with you, but compassion being a step even further beyond that to like, I am now driven to action. I am now going to do something because of your experiences, my feelings, all of these things. And so where I think empathy has been a really, really important tool um, and a really important skill, I, I think we can push into that compassion level um, and as leaders really not just say, I feel that, I I understand, I've gone through the same thing, but really going to that level of, now this is what we're gonna do about it. And so I think in human resources and people operations where I spend a lot of time, we focus so much of our energy on how do I make other people's experiences great? How do I make sure that they're successful in their job? Um, But it can be really simple to just flip that and say, I'm an employee too. What do I need to be productive right now? What do I need to be um, successful in this environment? And chances are that's going to translate to a number of other employees and a number of other people at the company. And so if you can bring it into that, how do I feel what's really happening? How can I then take action on it? I think I think we can get a little bit, I think we can get a little bit further than, than we think we can. Um, and I think one of the important, things with this is also recognizing that, you know, my experience is my experience and it's not representative of everyone else's experience. And so you want to get that cross-section. You want to understand how other people are experiencing things. So I personally I um, prefer a focus group. I love sort of having conversations with people. Uh, I know there's a lot of people who love a survey. Surveys are great for certain things, but you can't ask a follow-up question on a survey based on what you heard in a previous answer. And you can't, there's a lot of limitations to surveys. So I think, I think focus groups are a really great opportunity for leaders to really put themselves in the shoes of their employees, really understand what's happening in their world. And embrace that with compassion, to then wanting to do something and help solve that, and come up with um, a way to relieve the, the the suffering or pain that the team is in.
0: Yeah, I mean, I love surveys as much as the next guy or gal, right? But there is something about surveys that, in some situations, feels like you're checking the box on something. Well, you know, we ran a survey, and this is what we found, and it's. In many cases, it's highly effective. In other cases, it is too simplistic in that Mm -hmm. it just doesn't allow you to go as deep as you need on a certain topic, right? Yeah. And it is really interesting to hear your take there on empathy too, seeing it sitting in between sympathy and compassion. The issue with empathy for me, similarly to, let's say, a survey around employee engagement Mm -hmm. is that it isn't close enough to like the heart of what's going on as well as what the action really should be. Right. If you're operating out of compassion, then you're much closer to take action. And if you're doing deep focus group work with your employees rather than a quick survey that was easy to send off, it's different, right? Like these are different things.
1: Yeah, I think one of the shortcomings of surveys is it does feel really transactional, right? You know, I filled out the things and now it's going over there and maybe something will happen. And one of the problems we have with surveys is we rarely follow up as much as we should. Um, and so there, there are all those shortcomings, but with a focus group, you're in a room, you're in a Zoom, you're you're on a phone call, you're looking people in the eye, you're hearing the um, emotion, the passion, the, the real sort of things that you're not gonna get, right? I think um, <laughs> because of the election this year, I've been rewatching a lot of West Wing because it was just a wonderful show and it makes mm-hmm. me feel better about the world. Um, and there's there's uh, an episode where they talk about polling um, and they're talking about how like so many people are supportive of um, you know banning flag burning or something like that. And so that should be an issue for us. And, and the pollster sort of asked the question, But the second question to this is, but how important is that issue to you in making a decision of who you're gonna vote for? And they're like, oh, it's not that important. You know, and so so it's the same thing. Like I can ask you a question, but if I don't really know how important that question is to you or that answer is to you, then it's really not informing enough of, of what I need to be able to make a good decision. And in a focus group, you can hear, you can see how important something is, based on how they say it or, or you know, just the passion in their voice versus, hmm. you know, in a survey, it's a strongly agree, strongly disagree. Cool. But how important is this? Right. So yeah, I, there's, there's a lot of good stuff in a survey. I prefer a focus group. And I think on the focus group too, there's um there's this there's this idea that uh, honestly people just want to be heard they just want to feel heard sometimes they don't care if you take action they just want to have like had the opportunity to get something off of their chest um and i don't think surveys fill that need for people where a focus group can because again you're looking them in the eye you know you are responding to them in real time and it's it's creating an environment that does make them feel heard and and a lot of times that's all they need
0: yeah these are really good little nuggets Um, I would say though, on top of that, and not to put words in your mouth, but I believe what you're also saying, in addition to wanting to satisfy the need for people to feel heard, I think you're also probably saying, leaders really now need to listen, right? They need to actively listen. They need to go in and say, okay, stuff's pretty crazy right now. Um, It's crazy for me personally as the leader. And so I can imagine it's crazy for others then again, my circumstances are different. I now need to really ask the right questions and figure out how people really feel and figure out what's important. Is that like a little stipend to buy myself an extra monitor really important, right? Or is it what, what, what matters right now to everybody that is working at my company? Um yeah. You wanna expand a little bit just on the role of listening from the side of leadership in today's climate?
1: Yeah, I I think of um I think of this diagram I've seen around communication, right? And it's, it's this two-way street. There's a sender, there's a receiver, there's there's this message that kind of bounces in between. And a lot of communication fails because the receiver isn't getting the message or the sender isn't sending the right message or there's there's all of these failure points in that communication. And, And I think as much as we have stressed over the years how important it is to like share our visions and our missions and our ambitions and all of the things that create culture, we're now in a space where that, that message now needs to be received and returned. And that cycle needs to be, full and complete, right? And so, um, you know, we can't just keep sending messages out into the void and saying we're, we're a community because we all have mission X to grow company by Y percent by next year. Um, we, we've got to hear more from the team about, but what, about what that really means and what that looks like.
0: Yeah, in, in order for people to feel connected to the mission, at least right now with everything that's going on, you could argue that people need to have a version of the mission that is almost a bit personal to them, right? Like connecting to the, yeah. Connecting to the mission isn't just, oh, I heard what the CEO said and that kind of resonates and I'm on board with that. And so now I'm like, all of a sudden completely connected to the mission we're on as a company It's like that, that isn't connection, right? Like that's just kind of hearing something.
1: Yeah, and I, and I don't think that's a new problem. It might be a new problem for whole organizations, but if you think about um, you know, my, my world in human resources or, or people operations, right? like most of the companies I work for are developing a product, building a system. There's, there's a, a, a tangible output, something that we'll sell, something that we provide someone else. But my job isn't to create that, to build that, to to make that thing happen. My job is to support the people in that, right? Your accountant isn't making the widget. And so when they look at that company ambition, that company goal, the mission of, you know, producing X widgets by Y time, you know, the accountant can look at that and go, great, cool. But like, where do I plug in? Is it just making sure I get the bills out at the right time or or in? Or like how, how does that connect? And so I think that's where your, your middle managers, your supervisors, that kind of middle group has a lot of opportunity right now to help translate that because understanding business strategy isn't something you're often gonna find in um, you know, the first levels of, a, of employee at a company, right? Like they're they're a lot more heads down, a lot more focused on. You know, doing the accounting work, doing the human resources work, making sure the benefits are, are right. Um, and so it, it takes that person in the middle to help translate what is your role in this? How do you make this happen? Um, how are you contributing? And then also how is the community kind of paying back to you too? Because I think that's one of the things about community where it, it's also a 2 way street, right? You give something to this community because this community will give something back to you. Um, And so in a company, we've we've kind of got to understand what that relationship is.
0: Yeah, it's so tempting to think about this as, well, this is all COVID related, you know, it's all these COVID problems, when in reality, it just kind of magnifies some of these more foundational issues. And, um, and that's the hardest work, right? Like the hardest work is actually to make sure a vision and a mission and a set of ambitions actually connect with a large group of other human beings like that's the shit that's hard right like it's not necessarily like oh well how do you communicate during a pandemic well yeah that's hard these are some symptoms but we're really talking about the fundamental stuff aren't we
1: yeah yeah i want to back up a second to when you were also talking about listening right because because i think a lot of times that conversation, that communication does feel very two-way street, right? Me as an individual employee to the company, you know, whatever the company is, whatever leadership group that is. Um, but we all are having different experiences, right? Like I don't have kids. And so my experience here in COVID is very different from the experience of parents who are now homeschooling kids in the background and and you know can't send their kids to daycare and um, you know, I don't, there, there are any other number of things that make all of our experiences different. And if we're only looking at the conversation between me and the company, and then the other person is looking at it from them to the company, it becomes really hard for the company to please everyone, right? Cause we can't provide individualized solutions. And so I think one of the things we, we should be encouraging more of, and I don't have an exact answer how to do this is i need to be listening to my peers my coworkers their experiences as well that message should be shared amongst everyone versus you know these individual spokes on the wheel into the company because that i think just fosters more empathy i can have for these other people so when a solution comes down and it isn't 100% what i wanted i'm not going to you know go away and be mad at the company because i didn't get what i want i can see well, this is because there are people in different situations and they needed those sorts of accommodations. And so we're solving for the group problem, not my individual problem. Um, so I just, I, I, I want to make sure we we talked about that. I wanted to make sure people know we should be encouraging conversation and communication between the whole team and not just in those spokes.
0: Switching gears a little bit, I have heard you talk about the evolving role of co working spaces, and you have some really interesting thoughts there. What's the opportunity you see there right now for companies with co-working spaces?
1: Yeah, so co-working spaces is one way to say it. I actually think really successful co-working spaces are communities, right? They're not just these physical spaces that people go to. They are they're real communities. They're real thriving communities. Um, and every co-working space I've ever been in has had its own like personality or character. And I think that that's pretty common. So I think as a company, we have opportunities to assess those spaces, those communities for their character, for their personality, and find ones that align with our company values, align with the experience we want our team to have. And we have spent a lot of time putting that into our office spaces, but can we find spaces in the public, in these co-working communities that can sort of feed and bolster our actual uh, culture. Um, and and, and I, I, think that, I think that kind of plays into community as well, right? Because a part of a community is there is shared experience, right? And so if all of the co working communities across the country that your team is a part of have a similar character, even if your people are in different cities, they're having a similar experience. They're sharing that experience with their local communities. They can then share that community with their broader, you know, coworker community. And and so I think I think there's just a lot of opportunity there to um, view coworking spaces as more than spaces and as extensions of the community that you're building within your
0: own company. That's really interesting. Um, what do you What do you think then is the way that a company actually approaches that and realizing every company is different, right? But should large companies consider turning some of their offices into or moving some some from office to co-working? Like how how, how do you reckon companies should approach it?
1: Yeah, I think for companies who are you know, not planning to go back into their offices at any point in the future who've already made that decision, we're, we're going remote first, this is our now new default, I think co-working spaces should be um, looked at proactively, right? Because at some point lockdowns and you know social distancing will um, totally lift and your employees who maybe have been perfectly happy working from home for the last year going to get antsy, they're going to get like ready to leave and they're going to want that opportunity to go out and I think what ha- one, of the, one of the troubles we ran into earlier this year is the transition we made was made by force and was made quickly and none of us were prepared for it. And what we have right now is an opportunity to prepare for that next transition and that next transition I think can and should include co-working spaces um, because they will create those communities um, that, that your team will be craving at that point after having been home for so long.
0: With you being, you know, closer to the front lines in terms of knowing, you know, what people are really going through mm-hmm. and having worked with multiple companies and, and really seeing some of this stuff firsthand, what are you picking up right now about how employees are feeling? Like it is a broad spectrum, but what are some of the issues folks are dealing with right now?
1: Yeah, early early on you know we saw a lot of layoffs and I think that um, inspired a lot of fear <laughs> in, in employees and for some folks that has worn off but I think for many they're still scared, they're still uh, afraid of what's happening and I know a couple of people who have started new jobs recently. They were laid off earlier in the year and started new jobs. And they're already approaching those jobs from this place of, I'm not going to take too many risks because now I have a job and I want to make sure that I stay at this job. And so if I do anything too risky, you know, does that make it too easy for me to let go? Because we're now kind of in that, um, that buyer's market, right? Like there are more people looking for jobs than there are jobs available. And so I think there is still some fear from folks that even if I have a job, it's not secure, it's not a hundred percent there. And so they're, they're weighing, um, you know, the value of taking risks and pushing forward, uh, and, and, and not. And I think that actually does a big disservice to our companies, um, especially companies who want to be innovative and want to push forward, um, to, to, do that, we have to sort of inspire and reinsure people reassure people that that there is comfort that we are there, that we're all in it together um, and uh, and sort of try to alleviate that fear wherever you can.
0: yeah, that's that's such a real thing. Um, what are you seeing as far as companies either getting this right or getting this wrong?
1: Yeah, we're we as companies are not always seeing the stressors um, that the individuals see, uh, partially because we have our own stressors, right? Like we're we're trying to sell products or uh, systems to uh, companies who are also cutting budgets. And so as a company, we have our own stressors, but the individuals have them as well. And so I think it does go back to listening and really understanding what those stressors are, um, making sure you understand where they're coming from and not just like what's being said. There's always, that second level of meaning behind something, right? Like somebody may say, "Um, I need, you know, I need a monitor and you're like, okay, great. I'll give you a monitor. But what they're really saying is I have 6,000 tabs open and they can't all fit on one screen. And I'm so overwhelmed that I just need more space to throw out all this stuff. I don't know that a monitor will make them more productive if they're overloaded with their work and so, i think I think we need to go that second level and hear what 's not being said when when things are being said uh to really understand what the issues are and and really understand um how to help alleviate that and how to create environments where people feel safe and secure and productive and inspired um, more specifically, I have seen some really wild things um there's there's one university uh who created a new work from home policy because of COVID and I don't know how we measure things on the internet I don't know if column inches are a thing anymore but it was like three or four scrolls long of just the policy of like this is what you can and can't have for your work from home Um, and some of the some of the clauses in there were anything purchased is property of the university and my first thought was so if this person stops working at the university are they gonna have to ship you that desk back you know, or like, how does this really work in the real world? And um, some things like that just don't feel feasible. It doesn't feel right. And so you're creating these systems and structures that aren't realistic, um, but they can create that like, OK, all right, if I leave, then I have to ship a desk. How do I ship a desk? I don't know. Um, and I've also seen people require doctor's notes for standing desks. And that also just feels a little, little excessive, right?
0: Oh boy yeah that's that's when we might have lost sight of you know what we're really trying to do here. That's um, yeah, hey, I exactly. want to be respectful of time. there This has been incredibly insightful. Um, really enjoyed the conversation. so I just want to say thank you so much for spending time with us today and talking through this. This is awesome.
1: No problem. It's been really it's been really fun.
0: Cool. All right. well, thanks so much. We'll see you around.
1: No problem, thank you.
0: Thank you so much for listening. It's my sincere hope you found something you can apply towards greater connection in your work life. If so, an honest review would certainly be welcomed. Reboot for Connection is brought to you by ScreenCloud. You can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, and we'd be honored if you subscribe to this one. You may also email us at reboot at screencloud.com with any reactions or ideas you might have for us. Hope to catch you again next time.